Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. And we are going to look at verses 1 through 13 this evening. Romans 15, 1 through 13. Blessed that you guys are here on a Wednesday night to seek the Lord. I know life is extremely busy and time is valuable. So I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 13, and then we'll pray together. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and the comfort of the scripture might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant to you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promise made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we come before your throne. We worship you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. Lord, we pray that you would do a deep work in our hearts and our lives when it comes to walking together for your glory. We pray you would deepen our unity, Lord, that you would deepen our hearts for the body of Christ as a whole. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters, your servants that are here tonight. God, would you bless them and minister to them? Would you be with youth, the junior high and the senior high and Awana and children's ministry? We do ask for your blessing upon this two weekends where we discuss marriage, Father. Would you pour your spirit upon it? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Churches, unfortunately, have been known to fight over all kinds of stuff. The color of chairs, to who should be the pastor, to the style of worship, to the list goes on and on and on. If, if you want some entertainment, you can actually Google church fights and all of these YouTube videos come up of people getting into fist fights at church. I didn't have time to watch them. It probably wouldn't be beneficial. But that's not the kind of press that God wants the church to have. Agreed? God desires that we would walk together for his glory. So tonight, the title of the message is Together for God's Glory. The book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, is this foundation of God's grace unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, that God would give his son for us, that we would be justified freely by faith, declared righteous as we sang tonight, that we're white as snow. Our sin has been buried, we're risen in newness of life, 
That when God elects like he did the nation of Israel, he commits his unconditional love. And in chapter 12 was the response to that love, that response to that grace. God, you've done all this for me, so I desire to be a living sacrifice. So chapters 12 through 16 means how do you live out a life of worship? And so we come to these 13 verses And a living sacrifice will affect the way that we relate to the body of Christ. Not just this family of believers, but the body of Christ as a whole. And there's seven things, there's seven truths that we'll see tonight that really help us in our relationships with one another. But the foundational understanding of the church is really important. It's not just a church building, that's not the church. This is a really empty building when you guys are not not here. We're thankful for it. It's a place for us to meet. But the church is not the building. The church is not an institution. The church is you. It's me. It's us. And as we relate with one another, and God never desired that our relationship with him would be absent of relationship with one another. You really can't live out the truths of scripture without being in relationship with one another. But at times, as we're in relationship with each other, it gets difficult. Imagine that. Relationships being difficult. With believers, no way. Why? Because we're all sinners. And one of the things we argue about are non-essentials. And we talked about that last week, where we have liberty in these areas where God hasn't given us an emphatic command. And there's many emphatic commands, but there's some areas that he leaves in this area of freedom or liberty. So we may have differing views and opinions on music and movies, and we talked about some of those things. And so Chapter 15 in these 13 verses really give us the practicals of how now to walk in unity. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 15, and the first truth that we see is to bear, to bear, to bear with one another. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Do you guys use the word scruples a lot? I had to look it up in the dictionary. Scruples means a feeling of doubt or hesitation with regard to morality or propriety of a course of action. It goes along with verse 23 of chapter 14, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he doesn't eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So a scruple is where someone doubts whether or not they should do something or not. So we need to bear with someone who is weak in a particular area of liberty. If someone had the conviction to not play cards, and I knew that, I wouldn't invite them over to play cards. Uh, I should bear with their their weakness. I should bear with their, their scruple. That's just a fun word, scruple. And the burden of bearing is upon the one who is stronger upon the one who can receive God's blessings with freedom. It's put on that individual to bear with the person who is weak. Now, I think the word bear kind of gets a bad connotation. It's more of like, oh, I'll just put up with this. I'm gonna put up with this person. That's not the message of bearing with one another in the context of the New Testament. We're told that we're to bear one another's burdens. Jesus bore our sins upon the cross. The idea of bearing is more a support than putting up with someone. I'm not just putting up with another brother or sister in Christ. I'm supporting them. I'm I'm realizing this is a conviction that God has given to them. And so instead of coming and just running them underneath the bus and causing them to stumble, I'm patient with them and I'm bearing with them. 
this truth of being together for God's glory. We're in relationship with one another so that Christ can be glorified. The body of Christ doesn't exist for me. I get to exist for Christ and look to support one, one another. If we bring this understanding, it'll help in relationships. If you have a, a bearing mindset with those that you're in relationship with, a supporting mindset with those that you're in relationship with, you're gonna be blessed. Because when we bring a, a prideful mindset, when we bring an arrogant mindset, when we bring a selfish mindset, those things are a destruction of relationship. So a key for us to be together for God's glory, if you say, you know what, I see this commissioned by God to walk with other believers, I wanna be linked up with other believers for God's glory, then you're gonna have to bear with one another. You're gonna have to be patient with one another. You're gonna have to walk with them through this area of convictions and this area of liberties. I like that kind of environment, don't you? I like those kind of, kind of relationships. I like to be part of a community that's willing to, to bear with one another. There's even times where we have to be patient with one another as we walk through sin. Not condoning sin, but loving each other enough to confront sin and walk with people through that, that journey. And I'm thankful for the unity and the community that we share at our RMC and the willingness that we have to be able to bear with one another. I think all of these truths definitely apply as well to the most personal relationships, the husband and wife, you know, with our children with roommates and close friends if you're single and, and you have roommates. These are truths that will work in every aspect of life. Even with unbelievers in the workplace, it'll go a long ways to have an attitude to support and to bear with those that, that you, you work with. We go with verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So the second truth is to edify. The first truth is to bear, and then we're to edify. And for us to edify, we have to please our neighbor for his good, leading for him to be built up. So as we're interacting in this area of liberty, maybe there's a movie that you have liberty to be able to watch. It's not one that is clearly not glorifying the Lord. It's, it's not one of those that's out of bounds. And you have peace in your relationship with the Lord to watch this movie, but your friend doesn't. So, so what do you do? Well, you go, okay, what, what movie would you like to watch? You're, you're making decisions on actions and attitudes, words to say, how do I build them up? And again, this is really foundational to how do we see one another? How do we see the body of Christ? And I think just to speak real honestly, we have to be careful that we don't allow culture to form our view of the church. So how does culture form views on relationships. Think about when you join the YMCA, you join 24-hour fitness, you join Villa Sport or Lifetime Fitness, or you, you fill in the blank. Why do you join those places? There's one reason. What does it offer me? What does it offer my family? What is it exercise programs do they have? What kind of workout equipment do they have? How does it fit in ultimately in, into the budget? You don't walk into those places going, how do I please my neighbor? How do, I, how do I build up the, the YMCA? You know, how do I build up Villa Sport? How do I make their workout equipment better? We don't, we don't have that mindset at all. When we take a job, what do we think about when we take that job? How does it help me? How does it meet the needs of my family? How does it make me feel when I go home at the end of the day? And am I satisfied in my career and in my vocation? How do a lot of times do we view friendship and relationship? How do they gel with me? How do they make me feel? Do they make my life easier? 
Do they give me the warm fuzzies? And then we come into biblical truth and God switches it on us and he says this community of believers that we're involved in, as we're in relationship with each other, it's not how do they build me up, but how do I build them up? So when I'm looking to join a church and be a part of a church, it's not just a discussion of what can they do for me, though that's part of it. I think you should go to a church where you get fed. You should go to a church where you can connect with the worship. You should go to a church where your kids are getting ministered to. Those are all real real things. They're not wrong things to evaluate, but also to say, you know what? Is this a place where I can give? Is this a place where I can serve? Is this a place where I can build up the body of, of believers? And I need that fresh mindset on relationships because I'm always battling in the midst of culture and what it's saying about relationships. And God's saying, put this mindset of being other-centered in relationships. How does this edify them? How does this build them up? And one of the things that's always convicting for me as a husband, as a dad, is I really feel like husbands and dads we're kind of the thermostat in the home. You know, dads, when we come home from work, if we're all grouchy and cold and icy, then the environment in the home naturally follows. And you can kind of cut the tension with a knife. But if we come home and we're in a pleasant mood and a joyful mood and it's good to see you and we're interacting with our, our families, then guess what? That sets a warm and inviting tone inside of the home. It's this perspective of saying, do I live my life to build other people up or do I expect them to, to build me up? So we look at verse three. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So the first two principles was to bear and also then to edify. And the third is to follow. And this is an important part of this truth as we're following the example of Christ. For Christ did not please himself. The reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. That's a quote out of the Psalms. Jesus took on all of the reproaches that were directed towards the Father. He took on my insults, the insults that I've hurled towards God. He took on all of those things out of obedience to the Father. So if we're a disciple of Christ, Christ invites us to follow him, he didn't live to please himself, then that's gonna be our marching orders as well. We're gonna follow in his footsteps. This is the key understanding of being able to do life together for God's glory is saying, I'm living my life to lay it down. In John 4, verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is my satisfaction is to do the will of him who sent me. And in John 4, Jesus was hungry, he was tired, he sent the disciples to go get some food at the fast food joint and bring it back, bring back some hamburgers, I'm going to wait here. And in his humanity, he was worn out. You ever been there? You there tonight? Man, I'm, I'm, I get there for sure. Get tired, get worn out. Jesus is at that place where the scripture says he was weary, and here comes the woman at the well. Jesus engages in a conversation with her, gets to share living water with her. The disciples come back and Jesus says, I've already eaten. They're like, what? Who, who, who beat me to this? You know, who, where'd you get this food? And that's when Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. There's a real nourishment that comes from not doing my will, but doing the will of the father. 
Selfishness leads to self-destruction. I get focused on my needs, my wants, who's paying attention to me. That's going to be a downward spiral of destruction. But when I wake up and I say, I want to do the will of the Father. God, I'm really tired. I don't have the energy to talk with this person. But your will is what's important. So I'm going to do your will. And then we walk away from that conversation. And we become refreshed as we give out, don't we? We go, wow, that was really nourishing to walk inside of the will of the Father. John 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus had this mindset to esteem other people better than himself, and he's God in human flesh. So as he interacted with people, he esteemed them better than himself. He looked at their needs, not just his own. And for us, that's the key ingredient of being able to walk together for God's glory. God is glorified when a group group of believers get together and their mind is on the Lord and their mind is on building other people up. God goes, wow, that's a sweet thing. That's a sweet community of believers that are walking in my glory. I've shared this a lot of times in a lot of different ways, but I would sure like it if some of these truths just happened and then they got cemented in cement in my soul. It's like selfishness just died for good and it, I could have a death day for selfishness that lasted the rest of my life. But my flesh is alive and well and every day I wake up stinking selfish. Every day, it is a choice to say, am I going to be about the will of Eric today or the will of the Father today? Am I going to put me first or am I going to put God first? Am I going to love God? Am I going to love my neighbor as myself? And when I can follow in this footstep of Christ, that's when there's life. Jesus said, whoever takes up their cross and follows me will find life. But ever who seeks to save his life will lose it. Jesus offers abundant life. You know where it's found? and surrendering to the cross, and surrendering to living to the will of the Father. God, I wouldn't choose this. God, I don't like this. God, I'm tired, but I know that this is your will, so I'm not going to live to please myself. I'm going to live to build up others, to edify others. It really comes very, very simply. As you're doing life, and I'm doing life, and we're around people, how does God want them to be treated? How would I like to be treated if I was in their shoes? So we follow Christ's invitation to serve others, to be others-minded. In verse four, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of scripture might have hope. So the fourth thing of together for God's glory is to learn, to learn. After following Christ, that commitment to follow Christ, we wanna learn, and where are we learning from? From everything that was written prior, which is all of the Old Testament. All of the Gospels, all of the book of Acts was all written prior to this point. And it says, all of these things, whatever things were written before, were written for our learning. Would you just kind of put your name in there? All the Old Testament, all the Gospels, all of Acts, all of the scriptures, it was written for, put your name in there. It's for you, for your learning. My pastor always said, and I really like the way he put it, experience is the best teacher, but why does it have to be your experience? Why couldn't you learn from someone else's experience? You can open up the scriptures. You can turn to Proverbs chapter six. 
and it in detail describes the destruction of adultery. Oh, I don't ever want to be there. I can learn from that experience without having to personally walk through it. It's for our learning. There's so many wonderful examples throughout all of Scripture. Rocky Mountain Calvary cannot provide the kind of adequate feeding for your spiritual growth. Just Wednesday night, a Sunday morning service, men's study, women's study, all the different wonderful studies that we have access to as a church, hopefully are building blocks to take you personally into the word for yourself. I hope that everybody that comes here to RMC has fallen in love with the scriptures and a belief that the Holy Spirit can lead you through the scriptures. It's not complicated what we do. It's not rock and science what we do. It's simple. We open up the scriptures. And what we're doing right here on Wednesday night of going through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, you can do on your own. You can read the Old Testament, read the Gospels and say, God, this is for my learning. This is for my understanding. Learn to look for Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. Look for him through, through those stories. God, would you show me more of Jesus? What things could, could I apply to my life? I remember being in eighth grade, being in chapel at a Christian school, and the speaker challenged us to commit to read God's word five minutes a day. Wasn't walking with God, had a hard heart towards God, but for some reason I took the challenge. And I raised my hand to do it. It was a video series that we were watching. I was sitting on a metal chair in a gym in Southern Oregon. And I raised my hand. I felt like, okay, I got to fulfill this commitment. Didn't know where else to read, so I read the Proverbs. I'm now in high school, and I'm thinking about dating a gal in my local high school. And I'm reading through Proverbs, and I'm like, yikes, she's the woman of folly. <laughs> I better run for my life. And I chose to not start, start dating her. And that was, God saved me simply by learning from, from the scriptures and those experiences. We go on and we look at verse 4, and there's two things that the scripture points out that we're to be learning specifically, patience and comfort of the scriptures. As we read through the Old Testament, we learn about endurance and a lot of the lives that are highlighted to us. And we also learn about comfort, God providing us comfort in the midst of trials. Think of the life of Joseph. It was a long walk of perseverance and endurance. As his brothers threw him into a pit, sold him as a slave, as a slave, he's falsely accused, thrown into prison, ends up being second in command to Pharaoh, saving the nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel. God works all things together for good is the message of Joseph's life but there was a lot of patience. There was a lot of perseverance to get to that point in Joseph's life. And he experienced the comfort of God as he went through those trials. We think of Esther and the difficulties that she went through in her life in captivity. As Haman wanted to destroy the whole nation of Israel, but God provided salvation for, for his people. There's endurance in that story of Esther. There's comfort in that story of Esther. God's involved even when it feels like he's not. How about Ruth? Here she is a Moabitess, marries an Israelite. Her husband dies, her brother-in-law dies, also her father-in-law dies. She clings to Naomi and goes back to Israel. God provides a husband for her in Boaz, a kinsman redeemer. And guess what? The lineage of David comes 
out of their relationship and out of David's lineage comes Christ. It's a message of endurance. That's very difficult what Ruth and Naomi walked through. How about Job? There's no better example of endurance in the scriptures. You know, I think last week I shared, I've never heard anybody, or I was at the sunrise service. I forget where I share it this time of year. It was the sunrise service. And in all my years of talking with people, missionaries and pastors and church planters and myself, I've never heard anybody say, would you please give me the ministry of Jeremiah? Because no one listened. He didn't have one person that converted because of the truth that, that he shared. Nor has anybody ever asked for the life of Job. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest. We read of the trials of Job and we go, really, Lord, please, not me. You know, I, I don't want to go through that. But he endured, didn't he? He kept going. He kept waking up, kept trusting, kept asking honest questions. And the end of the book of Job is God met him in a powerful way. He prayed for his friends and God restored in his life. His life is a lesson of endurance and comfort. Joshua have you ever thought about his life? All of his peers, all of his friends, all of his family members die in the wilderness of unbelief. Only him and Caleb from his generation get to go into the promised land. Great victories were won, but it came through great heartaches. Out of all of human history, Joshua probably went to the most memorial services. And that's not a joke. He buried everyone that he knew in his, his generation. But he also saw God part the Jordan River. He witnessed the walls of Jericho coming down. He witnessed God taking nice big snowballs from heaven, hailstones from heaven, and taking out the army of God. He watched the sun stand still, but it took him a long time to get to that point. It's a, a message of endurance and a message of comfort. The first Calvary Chapel, we're a part of a group of churches called Calvary Chapel. The first Calvary Chapel that was started was by Pastor Chuck Smith, and he's now home to be with the Lord in heaven. His first 20 years of ministry were grueling and primarily unfruitful, as he writes and teaches about those 20 years of ministry. No fruit, toil, and then he gets this idea in his early 40s to start teaching the Bible verse by verse and praying for a bunch of hippies that are lost, and God birthed an amazing movement, and now a thousand churches have gone out all, all over the world. What if Pastor Chuck would have given up at age 35? He said, I'm not called to be a pastor. I keep doing this. There's no fruit. All those 20 years, he worked at a grocery store and pastored and raised his kids, and there's just no fruit, no fruit, no fruit. And then, bam, this huge movement of the Lord is endurance and comfort in the midst of that endurance. And that's what the scripture teaches us. Keep going. Don't give up. God's working. Be comforted about who the Lord is. And as then we're reading the scriptures that we have hope, that we're able to lay hope together. Why is this put in this midst of this discussion of relationship? Because a lot of times we need endurance and comfort when it comes to relationships with other people. God sees something he is doing and will do in their lives, but we don't see it. So we just have to continue to trust the Lord. We have to continue to trust that God will be faithful to complete that good work that he started in them. We go into verse five and six. You guys doing okay? You guys with me? Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the God of patience and the God 
of comfort. God is never in a hurry. He's never out of time. He's never wondering if he's going to give up. He is the God of endurance. He is the God of patience, and he's the God of comfort. Thankfully, he's both. Not only do the scriptures provide patience and comfort, but God is the source himself of patience and comfort. So we get comfort and endurance from the scriptures, but then also through fellowship with God. We get to go right into the presence of God, say, God, I really don't have any more endurance. I ran out of endurance like 500 miles ago. I need you to meet me. I need you to please comfort me. And thankfully, he's the God of patience and the God of comfort. And he wants to grant us to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ, that we'd have one mind and that we would have one mouth. So the next truth here after f- to learn is to unite. To unite is to come together for a common purpose or a common goal. People unite all the time for a common purpose and a common goal. Just this week on, on Monday was the national championship for college basketball and Duke won the national championship and we see a group of young men and a school uniting around this common goal and this this common purpose that takes place. It's very common in business. Everybody says, you know, we want this business to do well, so we're going to unite over a common goal and a common common purpose. How much more so for Christians? How much more so for a body of believers that we could be like-minded, that we could unite, that we could come together because of our agreement on who Jesus is, so that we have one mind and one mouth to glorify Jesus Christ. And this is the ultimate goal when this discussion of liberties. So there might be a brother or sister in Christ that I'm in a relationship with, or another church that we're in relationship with, and we may disagree on some of this area of liberties and, and convictions, but we agree on a whole lot more than what we disagree on. And we disagree on these minor things, and we agree on the major thing, which is Jesus Christ, so we can come together and we can be for each other. We can be like-minded. We're in the same direction. We can have one voice and one mouth. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ. On a practical note, I think this is the key to friendship and relationship inside of a marriage and, and with children. Because if you get a friendship that exists for the glory of God, it's going to go way deeper than common interests. If God blesses you with that kind of friend that says, you know what? God's linked us up together like David and Jonathan to serve in his kingdom. And we may disagree on all these different things, but we agree on, on Jesus Christ. Some of my best friends that I have were most dislike each other in personality. In our school ministry, in the church that I grew up in, we had 25 guys for one year live in a four-bedroom house, and the only day you could go off campus of the church was on Saturday. So six days a week, you're on a church campus with each other 24-7. We got on each other's nerves. There were some school ministry fights, literally, that broke out that, that year. And there were some guys that were just like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. And I'm sure I was the exact same thing to them. But we've become good friends because of our love for Jesus Christ. See, a love for Jesus Christ is even stronger than similar personalities and similar interests. And it'll really bring a unity inside of a marriage when we decide we exist for God's glory. Your marriage, my marriage, doesn't exist for my comfort, for my benefit. 
it exists for God's glory. And play this out with me. So you've got a decision to, to make in, in, in marriage. You guys ever have make decisions in marriage? It's worked out really good for, for Amber and I because we just agreed that I'd make all the big decisions and she'd make all the little decisions. And so far in 13 years, we just haven't had any big decisions. <laughs> just joking. So she's not here tonight because we got a home a child home sick, so it was a perfect night for me to share that joke. <laughs> no, that's a terrible way to make decisions, isn't it? That's, that's not how you make decisions. It's not how we make decisions. It's not how God would want us to make decisions. So until you make an agreement in your marriage, in your home, that decisions are going to be made for God's glory, it's all a wrestling match for whose personality is going to win that particular decision. Because now it's an issue of, is the husband right? Is the wife right? And okay, let's see who's going to win. But if you both agree, we want the God decision. We don't want my decision or Amber's decision. We want the God decision in this situation. Then when you come to a place where, okay, we don't quite agree or we do agree, but we need to check this, you go to God's word and you say, what does God's word have to say about this? All right, let's seek out godly counsel. What does a godly counsel have to say about this? And then you can come together and there's this powerful unity because this is what the Lord wants. This is what glorifies the Lord. And until that component's there, it's always gonna be a wrestling match. So this unity, when we come together to be like-minded in Christ and to glorify Jesus Christ, it works in all kinds of relationships. It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17, verse 21. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Did you catch that? Jesus prayed that we would be one as the Father and the Son are one. That unbelievers would not look on and see us fighting, but they would look on and see our tremendous unity. And it would cause them to want to believe in Jesus Christ. So an important principle to unite. Let's look at verse 7. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of the Father. The next truth after unite is to receive, to receive. How are we to receive one another? Just also as Christ received us to the glory of the Father. How did Jesus receive you? Well, I hate to tell you this, to be the first one to tell you this. He just received you partially. He only received the part of you that behaves, but he doesn't... He doesn't really receive the ornery part of you or the part of you that's sinned or the part of you, wait a second, that's not quite right, is it? He receives you completely. He receives you freely, totally. As you trust and believe in Christ and come through faith, he says, come on, come on. I think of it as a dog playing in a cesspool of manure and a dog owner saying, come on in just as you are, then I'll clean you up. That's the kind of love I don't have. That dog would be staying outside till it got cleaned up. What does Jesus say? Come to me just as you are. Not to stay the way you are, but it's only he that can cleanse us. So we come to him with our sin and repentance, and he's the one that cleanses us. He receives us completely. He receives us freely. He receives us truthfully. As we're in that place, and he's brought us unto himself, he'll say, okay, 
Here's the truth of the matter. Here's an ugly part of you that you need to deal with. Here's something that you're doing really well. Keep it up and, and keep going. So this is how we're supposed to re- receive one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't try to change each other. Don't try to speak truth to each other if you haven't received somebody. Receive them first. Receive them into your life and then be at that place of speaking truth to them. This will be liberating in some relationships tonight if you're working really hard to change somebody. You've got to receive them the way God has received you. Receive them in Christ Jesus. I always tell couples in premarital is don't try to change your spouse. I think when you're engaged, you're starting to see some things that maybe concern you about your potential spouse and deep down you're going, I'm gonna change them after we get married. Once they marry me, I mean, I'm so persuasive and I'm so wonderful, I'm gonna change them. And I'm gonna work this thing out in their lives. So you get married with this agenda of, I'm gonna change you. Does it work? No, it doesn't work. Only God can change. You can speak truth and love, but God's the one who changes and we receive each other freely and completely and truthfully. In verse eight, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promise made to the fathers. Paul's writing to the church of Rome that has a bunch of Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, non-Jewish people that had been saved in Christ Jesus and the temptation would be to have this division between the two groups. And so now Paul writes to this issue of Jew and Gentile and he shows God's love for Jew and he shows God's love for the Gentile. And he says that Jesus Christ had become a servant to the circumcision, but then also he brings out all of these Old Testament scriptures that talk about God's plan for salvation for the Gentiles, that they would receive one another, that there wouldn't be this barrier, that they wouldn't see each other as Jew and Gentile, but they would see each other in Christ. And that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this reason, I confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Quoting Psalms 18 and also 2 Samuel prophesying of what God would do in the Gentiles. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Quoting from Deuteronomy. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. Psalms 117. And now Isaiah 11, and again Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, speaking of Jesus, coming from the lineage of Jesse, David's father, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. So he quotes the prophets, he quotes the Psalms, he quotes the books of history, and he quotes the law. He's saying to the Jews, it's throughout all of the Old Testament that God was gonna save the Gentiles. So Jews, if you have a problem with Gentiles, God loves them. Gentiles, if you have a problem with Jews, Jesus Christ was the servant of the circumcision. Which believer do we have problems with and why? Why do we have such a problem with them? Here I am having difficulty with somebody Christ has received. And I can't stand before you and say, I've never had difficulty with believers because I'd be lying. Of course I do. Of course at times I have. And why am I in that place? Have I not received them the way that Christ has received them? Our last truth tonight after receive is refill, refill. Don't you love free refills? They don't exist a whole lot anymore. I love coffee shops with free refills. 
Now, now they're charging you for that second cup of, of coffee. I may move into a coffee shop with free refills. I'm not addicted though. It's no problem for me. <laughs> now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only is God a God of patience and a God of comfort, but he's a God of hope. And hope is expectation of coming good in the future. God is hopeful. He is hope himself. And so what does he want to do? He wants to fill us with two things, with joy and peace. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is based on your relationship with who God is and his promises. We can have joy in the Lord regardless of our circumstances. And God wants us to be filled with overflowing with joy. It doesn't always come with warm fuzzies. Joy sometimes is filled with heartbreak and confusion, but in the midst of it, God, I know you're good. And I find refreshment in you. I'm holding on to you in the midst of these tears and confusion. Peace is not the absence of turmoil. It's God's presence in the midst of the turmoil. Lord, I don't understand this, but you're granting to me a peace that surpasses understanding. I don't know the answers. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I know you. And you've filled me with peace. How does the joy and peace come into our lives? Through believing. So if my life is a cup, what keeps me from being filled with joy and peace? Unbelief. When unbelief comes in, doesn't mean that I'm not saved, that I'm not the child of God. It means I'm probably not going to experience a lot of joy and peace. But then when I can surrender that situation to God, begin trusting him, then I'm lifting off the lid of my soul and God can pour in, he can refill with joy and peace. And in order to be together for God's glory, we have to be refilled, amen? In order to be what God intends us to be for one another so he can be glorified, I can't do this. Notice, I don't have these things in and of myself. It's not conjure up joy, conjure up peace, work harder for joy, work harder for peace. It's God filling us with something that we can't fill ourselves. And then that you would abound, you would multiply in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can go through this life hopeful because of who God is, knowing he is good, he does good, he has a plan in the midst of what we're going through, so we're hopeful, and it happens once again by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do this on my own. It's living water that God generates. Jesus told us that we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids. How much more so does he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We've got to ask. Lord, I need that fresh filling from you. I need that power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Would you fill me up to abound in hope? Would you fill me with joy and would you fill me with peace? Together for God's glory, we bear with one another, edify one another, follow Christ's example, learn from the scriptures, unite, be like-minded for his glory, receive one another, and be refilled by the Lord. As we pray and just seek that the Lord would bring application tonight, I want to read to you a psalm. I think this psalm
expresses how we need to be refilled up. So just take it in. You don't have to turn there and then I'll pray. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied in fatness and with marrow. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, when I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped.